0: Well, uh, my name is Paul Bickford. For those of you who don't know me, I have been at Fellowship for, uh, for 14 and a half years now. I'm the student ministries pastor here, and uh, it's awesome to be upstairs with you guys. Uh, you know, sometimes I think of myself kind of like that box of ornaments that you've got down in the basement, and you bring it up uh, closer to the holidays, uh, start, start pulling out all the wonderful things inside. Um, I'm just kidding. So... I have the privilege this morning of talking to you about Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And so if you guys could kind of make your way there, we'll be there in just a second. And the, the interesting thing to me is this, is that uh, as as we are entering Thanksgiving week, I get to preach the resurrection. And so uh, there's, there's, there's just a few, you know, I, I preach to, to middle schoolers about 100 times a year, and there's a few times that I get to come and talk to adults. And one of them is Easter. And so I always preach the resurrection uh, at Easter. And now at Thanksgiving, uh, because of where we fall in Mark, I get to preach the resurrection. And I thought, but I'm in pretty good company because that's really what Paul wanted to preach too. He wanted to preach the resurrection. And I'm going to give you guys a a spoiler alert because I want to encourage you this morning. Okay. At the end of the message Jesus is waiting. Jesus is waiting. Now this is going to be a little bit different this morning. Uh, obviously, I'm a different person than Jason. Our styles are different. Uh, I am a storyteller. Uh, I think I'm in good company. Jesus was a pretty good storyteller, uh, and chose to chose to use that method in his teaching a lot. And I just I love stories, and I love the way that stories kind of find purchase in our souls and then bloom. And some of, the, some of it will bloom this morning, hopefully, and some of it will bloom on the way home or, uh, or later this week or later in life. Uh, but we are going to get to uh, the, 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 the Jesus is waiting part via a little bit more circuitous route uh, than you might be used to, used to. Are you good with that? Okay. I, I don't know what I would have done if you guys would have said no. I probably, I guess I would have just left. Found a new job. I don't know. Um, let's, let's read Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the resurrection. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices. bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. God, we pray right now that, uh, that you would walk with us in your word, that we would encounter you here. God, that you would plant whatever you want to plant in our spirits this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are, the week of Thanksgiving, and we're looking at the resurrection. And uh, as I was getting ready for this message uh, a, a couple weeks ago, I started looking at it, and I started kind of looking at the Greek, and I, and I had a realization that Mark the Evangelist, wrote this passage in something called the historical present tense. Are you familiar with that? I wasn't either. The historical present tense. Historical present tense is used in the telling of a story to highlight the importance, create a sense of immediacy, and to pull the reader into the narrative as though they are experiencing it in real time, unreal time with the characters themselves. And so here we are this morning, and uh, I'm gonna ask you to do something with me. I'm gonna ask you to join me as we walk with these three women this morning, as they make their way into the cemetery. You ever spend much time in a cemetery? I'm I'm sorry if you have recently. I I know most of the reasons for being in a cemetery are are usually uh, you know, filled with grief. Um, But to get ready for this, I decided the best thing I could do on Friday morning was to go hang out in a cemetery. Uh, And so I did. Felt a little weird. uh, But I I chose a cemetery that uh, is one of Atlanta's most beautiful, most famous cemeteries. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I heard several of you say it. Oakland Historical Cemetery. Have you been there? Let's walk through it. I've got uh, a bunch of pictures that I want to take. When I came in, you go up this road, and you're coming through this gate, and there were several field trips going on. And uh, even with all these children there, the, the cemetery itself, right in the middle of the city, is amazingly serene and quiet. And so as we walk through the cemetery, feel your spirits calm. Feel your spirits calm. But at the same time, what I noticed in my own spirit was that there was this, uh, almost this clash of peace and angst because there's something about being in a cemetery that makes us look at ourselves in ways that we don't really want to. And so let's just kind of flip through here. It's beautiful, right? So there's, there's still flowers. There's, uh, there's birds. The, the songs are amazing. It's in the middle of Atlanta. Uh, it's just gorgeous, right? Uh, the moon was 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 coming down. Uh, just sitting there, pondering these three women as they're walking into the cemetery, and they're walking at at sunup. And you can keep flipping through here. I mean, can you see how you could? Okay, hold on, just a second there. This one says, uh, I could have given him up to none but thee. And I thought, man, you you can kind of feel the emotion in this person. Uh, Years and years and years ago, as they were saying goodbye to a loved one, presumably a a, a husband uh, or or a son. All right, let's flip one more. Okay, lots of reasons to go to a cemetery, uh, and, and, and I'm kind of goofy, and so I thought, well, maybe, maybe you're younger today, and uh, you're on the verge of having kids, and, and you need names. <laughs> and, and so maybe you're a, a Hortense Marie kind of person. I, I, I read this, and I thought, and, and guys, please uh, email me if your name is Hortense Marie, okay? <laughs> I, I will deserve whatever you say to me. Uh, I thought that was a dude's name. Now hold on a second. The, the, uh, we can we can skip to the next one. This I really really liked this one. Uh, we're not having more children. Uh, Ida Spitz or Lick. Uh, I this is real. This is someone's name. I'm not mocking the name. I guess a little I am. Uh, but maybe maybe that is a name you could use. I just spits Bickford. Let's let's go another one here. Uh, the thing about Oakland Cemetery is that it's it's full of old Atlanta, right? And so maybe we we we'll take a little quiz here uh, for to see kind of kind of kind of how long you've been in Atlanta. Uh, anybody know this grave? Yeah, Maynard Jackson. Okay, first African uh, American mayor of Atlanta. And so, he's got this, this really nice thing here. And so, let's skip another one here. You can see some some names. Uh, this is Emmanuel Rich. Does anybody know this person? Man, okay. Think back to the 80s, okay, and the lighting of the great tree. Do you remember that? It's Riches, okay, which Macy's later bought and ruined. Um. So that's Emmanuel Rich, okay. What do we have here? It's really hard. Is that Ivan Allen? Ivan Allen Jr., okay. You may have driven on his street. Let's skip another one here. Uh, Henderson Estella. Uh, I put this one in there because she says, just away. She's just away. She'll be back. I I guess you could say, aw. I thought, oh, that's a little creepy. It's like, when when is she coming back? All right? Carrie Steele Logan. Carrie Steele Logan has an interesting story. Carrie Steele Logan uh, used to work at the Union Train Depot, and uh, this was a place for some reason where children were often left and orphaned. And she would take them, and she would, during the day, let them play in boxcars. Okay? And at night, she would take them home and care for them. And she ended up starting an orphanage that is still a part of Atlanta today. I thought that was really cool. And it says, uh, the mother of orphans, she hath done what she could. She's got some really good people uh, in the cemetery. Let's skip another one here. Uh, the Inmans. You ever go to Inman Park? We can skip another one. Uh, anybody? I'm, I'm going to ask you to guess. I heard it. Yeah. Say it louder. Bobby Jones. Yeah, let's skip one more up there. Yeah. It's Bobby Jones. It's Robert Tire. Uh, Jones Jr., who is uh, one of the most famous golfers uh, to ever tee it up. And people, uh, out of respect for him, leave golf balls uh, just to feel like they're a part of what's going on uh, with Bobby Jones, which isn't much. Haverty, that says it all. Skip it. Anybody? Yes, Margaret Mitchell. She she wrote Gone with the Wind. Go another one? Eggleston, we can go another one? Anybody? Say it loud. It is Kenny Rogers. Go ahead. Will the circle be unbroken? Okay. Uh, Gambled and lost. Now look at this. Do you see what's going on there? Guys, as, as I wandered around this cemetery, and I'm looking at all these names, and I'm reading the, the sentiment on the stones, I, I came across this. What is it? It's a mausoleum. Do you notice anything interesting? It's open. It's, I could have pulled that open. Okay? Skip another one. All right, this is uh, Reuben S. Dunning. Reuben S. Dunning. All right, that sounds like a made-up name. Reuben S. Dunning. Reuben S. Dunning, skip one more. You may notice something about his grave. What is it? It's open. It's open. I'm walking around, and, and more than one grave is open. All right, so... Let's go ahead and just and, and turn those off for right now. Thank you for walking through the cemetery with me, okay? So uh, in the historical present tense, we're going to walk to the cemetery with these three ladies, Mary, Mary, and Salome. And I want you to put yourself in the story, Okay? So historical present would sound something like this. And entering the tomb, they see a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they are amazed. But let's back up a little bit. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They were uh, anointing him at this point. There was no mummification. That's not what this is. That wasn't the tradition. The spices were about making it a more pleasant place to visit, okay? A more pleasant place to visit. And so uh, if you remember the events of the weekend, they had all been scattered after Jesus was crucified, okay? The disciples are hiding out, and these three women take it upon themselves to go to the market, buy spices, and honor their friend and teacher. How do they feel? And guys, I, 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 I got to say this. If we, can connect, if we can connect emotion to the stories in the Bible, they will mean so much more to us. We'll remember them better. We will get more out of them. They are not just meant to be read academically. And specifically, this is not meant to be just read academically. Mark the evangelist is saying, I don't want you to just know this. I want you to experience this. So we've got to do more than just know about the resurrection. We've got to experience the resurrection. And so as we walk to the tomb with the women, our emotions are probably all over the place. They've got to be grieving. They haven't put two and two together yet. They haven't been thinking about his teaching and and expecting him to be gone from the tomb at this point. They're expecting to find him, and we know that because they're going there to anoint him. And I also think it's awesome that at this point, they didn't have time after the crucifixion because of the Sabbath starting to anoint him. Do you remember this? He had already been anointed. Do you remember? When he was at the house of the leper, the woman came with the expensive perfume, and they tried to stop her, and he said, she's anointing me for my burial. What? It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But they they weren't thinking about this right now and so they're going with their spices grieving for their friend and we see that they're talking about a problem and the problem is this and they were saying to one another who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb because it was large who's going to go and roll away this stone and part of them, were th- they, they must have been thinking a little bit, well, I hope someone's there to help us. And part of them were thinking, I, I hope no one's there. Because we're scared to meet someone who may not be a friend of Jesus. Someone like a Roman soldier. A Pharisee. But they're going anyway. Guys. As we're moving toward the holiday season right now, and you're walking down the road, moving through time, or, or I don't know if maybe time moves through us. What are the stones you see in your future? What are the stones that you're anticipating just up the road? And guys, I'm telling you straight up if you think about Thanksgiving alone, you can probably come up with 12. Am I wrong? don't think so. Like, what about relatives that you don't get along with? Right? What if you're an introvert? And the holidays are just tough that way? What if you've lost somebody? What if you've never had somebody? Guys, there's there's stones all over the place. And we really do anticipate them in a way that can incapacitate us. And that's what I love so much about these women is they knew there was a problem that was too big for them, but what did they do? They kept going. They went anyway. They moved toward Jesus. They moved toward Jesus. Even though they thought he was dead, My mother-in-law, uh, who, who passed away, uh, I think it's seven years ago now. Like, I, I grew up. Do we have, have anybody in here who loves Christmas? Yeah. I, like, I'm that kid. Uh, my mom did a great job with Christmas, okay? Uh, Look forward to it every year in a way that uh, might even be a little weird. I just, I love Christmas, Okay love, love, love Christmas. And another person in my life, my mother-in-law loved Christmas the same way I did. And so I, I remember uh, even before I married Karn, okay, as we were getting engaged, and by the way, my son got engaged on Friday. He called me up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't say that for applause, uh, but, but thank you for that. Um, he called me up and he's like, he's like, dad, what are you doing today? I was like, I, I, I'm over at Oakland Cemetery. He goes, he goes, hey, uh, can you come to Kennesaw Mountain uh, at three o'clock and take pictures? And I was like, uh, probably not. Uh, and he goes, oh, okay. And I was like, why? He said, oh, I'm getting engaged. And I was like, it's like yes, I will. I will go do that. Well, you don't have to pay me for that. That was. That was just because uh, I'm excited about it. Um, Marsha had a special way of, of, of making the holidays extravagant and over the top. Okay? Extravagant and over the top. And I, and, and, and I love her, and I, and I love her husband, John. Wonderful family. Uh, but John is not Marsha. Okay? And so John used to do the thing where he, he would try and put the guardrails up for Marsha, okay, uh, as far as the decorations in the house, okay, the music, okay. Uh, he's not crotchety, all right, but he, he, he definitely thought that, uh, you know, the day after the 4th of July was too early for, <laughs> for Christmas music. But the big one was the budget, Okay. Uh, he would say, hey, listen, this year, and I wasn't privy to this until after her death, this year, uh, this is the budget, you have this much to spend on each person. And so even before I was a part of the family, officially, he budgeted money. Isn't this really sweet, right? Like, he budgeted money for me to get Christmas presents. It was like, uh, I think it was probably like 100 bucks back in 1992 or 93, Okay, which is great. It's fantastic. But here's what would inevitably happen. Christmas morning, I would show up, okay, and they had the presents in different spaces throughout the living room. You guys do this, okay? And I would get in there, and I'd look for, like, the, the spot that had the one or two, and mine was bigger than anybody's. I don't know, I don't know why. I would get literally like 12 presents, and guys, these presents, like if if I did the math, okay, this hundred bucks easily turned into a thousand bucks, okay, and I'm told that there was great tension about this, okay, and I get that, I understand that, but she made Christmas so special for her family, all right? And it wasn't just the money. It was, it was everything. She's the one wearing the, the antlers. And, and, uh, and when she got early onset Alzheimer's, had to move away into assisted living. I'll never forget that first Christmas. It was hard. This thing that we had loved all of a sudden had a tinge of grief. You probably know what I'm talking about. And maybe it's not Christmas for you. Maybe it's something else. It's kind of the earthly experience, right? It's what we get. We, we start taking those steps into the cemetery. And we start thinking about, well, who's going to roll away the stone? Who's going to roll away the stone? Well, what I love so much about this story is that these ladies had thought through the problem. And it turned out it wasn't a problem. The stone had already been moved. The stone had already been moved. And guys, have you ever stopped and thought about who moved the stone? Why the stone was moved? Like we, I think sometimes if we don't think about it, we, we may get to the place where we go, oh, well. It was moved so Jesus could get out of the tomb. But if you read even a little further into the Bible as he's popping up in the midst of rooms where doors are locked or disappearing out of crowds of people, like he was having fun in his resurrection body, right? He didn't need the stone rolled away. He didn't. The stone was rolled away so that we could see the resurrection the stone was rolled away so that we could see the resurrection look this is where he was he's not here anymore you're seeking the living amongst amongst the dead Guys, in some ways, that stone was rolled away so that you and I might live. The resurrection is proof of Jesus' life. He's alive. The the resurrection is, is proof that God said the punishment is enough. Nothing else needs to be done. I have accepted this. And guys, as we move into the story even a little bit further, and they go in, let's see here, verse 4, and looking up, and because in order to look up, you have to be doing what? Like they were downcast. They were looking down. Verse 4 says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed, not because there was a youth sitting in the tomb, but because they knew uh, that this was a visitor from somewhere else. And he said to them, "Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. You know why you tell somebody, "Don't be alarmed? Because they're alarmed. OK? <laughs> Don't be alarmed." You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you, and they went out and fled from the tomb, and trembling in astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And so they booked it out of this tomb. They ran, and it says they were seized with trembling. Are you with them? Are you hanging back in the tomb, seeing if if this being will say something else? No, we're running out with them, okay? I have only run in a cemetery one time, and I'm ashamed to tell you. I'm I'm not ashamed. I'm going to tell you. When I was in high school, like I... I've I've always been drawn to uh to cemeteries. I don't know what it is. My grandmother was Lithuanian and believed some funny stuff, right, mom? About ghosts and such. I was with my buddies in the the, the National Cemetery in Marietta, right off of Roswell Street, you know what I'm talking about? And uh the sun had just gone down and we were literally just walking through and we're reading tombstones. Like no, no ill will. Yes, it was dark. We probably should have taken our cue and left at that point. Uh, but we were really enjoying ourselves looking at these really, really cool inscriptions. And all of a sudden, I don't know if he saw us or if it was something else from up on top of the hill where there's this little, um, well, a big monument, um, these blue lights and this whoop. And guys, like, you didn't have to teach me. I ran, okay? And I didn't ran straight down the road. Like, I I just, I ran into the grass, okay? And as I'm running, God forgive me, my foot went into the ground. And I thought, oh, no, that did not just happen. And I made it back to the car, and we came back the next day, and I saw that it was not a grave, okay? It was just a place where they had dug up some, and I like, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know what I would have done, okay? But I know what it's like to run because you're afraid in a cemetery. And these women booked out of there. Trembling. Here's the cool thing. We're told that when it says fear and trembling, that's that's not the best interpretation of what was happening. It's, It's fear. It's shaking with a combination of ecstasy. They were afraid and thrilled. Afraid and thrilled they didn't know what the resurrection of Jesus would mean for them personally, necessarily, what their futures would look like, what tomorrow would look like, but what they knew was Jesus was alive and that changes everything. So I told you at the beginning that Jesus would meet us at the end, and that's exactly what he does in this story. The guy in the the bright white robes in the tomb says, Jesus says, Head to Galilee and he'll meet you there. And they obeyed him and went. Well, fellowship. Where is Jesus saying? Hey. I'm alive. Go here, and I will meet you. Maybe it's places of reconciliation. Maybe it's places where we need to forgive or be forgiven. Maybe it's habits or or, hang-ups or whatever that he's addressing through his Holy Spirit And we need to take that first step toward Jesus. And I'm reminded of John 15 that says, if you remain close to me, I'll remain close to you, and you'll bear much fruit. That intimate walk with Jesus and these women, before they ever knew he was alive, were walking toward Jesus. And then they were running toward Jesus when they realized he was alive. How ecstatic are you that Jesus is alive and that changes everything? From the stones that you think are in your way to the places where you're grieving in your heart. I don't know what it looks like when Jesus gets there, but he does. Weeping lasts for an evening, but joy is in the morning. This is the morning. The morning of the resurrection. Well, guys, Jesus is meeting us this morning. And I'm excited about that. Do you have your communion elements this morning? Let's move toward Jesus and his table this morning. If you don't have them, if you could go to the back of the room. I believe there's some on the tables back there. How is that the case? I can't see because of the lights. Folks, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in no one else for your salvation, we would invite you this morning to join us in communion. If you're here and you haven't reached that place yet, we would invite you just to stop and consider. Consider the word you heard this morning, that Jesus died was raised from the dead, so that we might have life, so that we might be made right with God the Father, and there's no other way except through Jesus Christ. First Corinthians, chapter eleven, verse twenty-three says, "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed," took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So before we take it, I would invite you just to, just bow your heads right where you are, create some space. And listen to the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' body. Verse 25. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment. Blood of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for the the covenant of your blood and broken body. This morning, we thank you more than anything that you waited for us. Help us to take those steps toward you, God, to turn toward you and to abide in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.